We're in a series as a church looking at Acts and trying to learn what we can from the first days of the church as it grew exponentially, uh, as they saw remarkable miracles and healings and salvations in a time of real uh, challenge and great opportunity. And I want to speak today on the power of obedience, the power of obedience. One of the things that will mark us as a community in this season, in these days, is that will make us distinct, that will enable us to be powerfully used by God, is our resolve to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Obedience isn't a popular concept in our time. It feels in some ways that it's inherently limiting or restrictive in some way. But what we'll see in this passage is that it's hard to live a life that is free and full of purpose without obedience. And actually, obedience is the most important foundation of a wise and a joyful life. So the first thing we see in this passage is that obedience brings both opposition and opportunity. The apostles just before this passage have already been arrested once, and here they are arrested again, they're put in prison, then they're arrested again, they're put on trial, they're beaten, they're threatened. There's lots of challenges and lots of opposition. And all they're doing is telling people about the new life they've experienced. They're being obedient to what Jesus has called them to do. And they've seen remarkable miracles. They've seen people healed. They've seen lots and lots of people placing their trust in Jesus and following him. And it must have been so exciting. They're sent by the risen Christ with resurrection power, and they're having a real impact. But that increased influence... Stepping out in faith, telling about their faith, that also brings increased opposition. The Sadducees don't like it and they arrest them and put them in prison. Now that doesn't mean they're in the wrong place. That doesn't mean they're doing the wrong thing. The opposite. One of the fascinating things I find is that Jesus promises to those who follow him life and life in all its fullness. Abundant life. The best life you could ever lead. But he also says, if you follow me, you'll face trouble and some people will hate you. And you're thinking, oh, that doesn't sound quite so abundant, Jesus. Um, But every word Jesus speaks is completely true and utterly consistent. So it seems the fullest, the richest, the most satisfying life you could ever lead is not a life that's free from trouble and opposition, but might actually involve more trouble along the way. And when you're obedient to Jesus, you might face some opposition along the way. It comes with the turf. You only get tackled when you're moving the ball up the field. No blessing goes uncontested. And what's fascinating is that their arrest and imprisonment gives God the opportunity to intervene miraculously on their behalf and free them. They come out through the doors, past the prison guards. But the angel doesn't take them away from Jerusalem doesn't take them for a little kind of couple of weeks by the beach just to recover from their difficult experience, doesn't hide them away nice and safely in a cave where no one can cause them any trouble. The angel says, go and stand in the temple courts and tell people all about this new life. Go and keep doing exactly what got you into trouble in the first place. I actually emphasize quite a bit with angel here. I've experienced something like this. Uh, when I had just started working as a barrister, I was sent to court to try and get a guy bail. And I met him in the cells, and it was quite 
clear to me from our very first conversation that he was far more experienced in the criminal justice system than I was, his barrister. He just knew so much about it. He looked like he'd seen quite a few courts and quite a few cells. And, uh, you know, I was talking to him about the facts, and, you know, I was saying, I'm going to try very hard to get you bail. But the truth was, the facts, on the facts, it was very difficult to get bail for this guy. And I came outside of the cells, went to the court where we were going to have the hearing, and outside the court door, there was this big crowd of kind of friends and family and supporters. And some of them were huge. They were kind of... They looked like they would have been really useful if you'd ever had a fight. Those kind of guys, they just were massive, and they kind of crowded around me, and um, they were like, are you going to get bail? And I was like, well, I'm going to try. And and, um, one of them, the biggest one, stepped forward, and he said, well, do you need any money to offer the court to help you get bail? And I was like, oh, that would be helpful. Yeah, um, uh, how much do you have? And he said, what do you need, 30 grand, 40 grand? And I was like cash like this. And he was like, I can get you whatever you need. And I was like, oh, well, that would be really helpful then. And then another one stepped forward and he said, nah, 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 mate, don't be stupid. He said, if you offer them 30 grand or 40 grand in cash, he's going to look like a right criminal. You offer them 5,000 pounds, not a penny more, not a penny less. If they won't take that, they won't take 30. And I was like, thanks, that's pretty good advice. Um, so I was thinking, why did no one tell me this at law school? You know, I'm like, um, so I went into the court. I kind of you know, offered the 5,000 pounds. I kind of made all the arguments I could think of to try and get this guy bail. And the judge just wasn't having any of it. And she kind of just shook her head. She said, no, I'm refusing bail. And she started to outline her reasons for refusing bail. And I kind of sat down in this court, and I was so disappointed. I felt, I felt like I'd failed. I felt like, you know, it's my first year on the job. I'd wanted to make a real impact, and, you know, this case hasn't gone very well, and I was just kind of thinking about everything. And then at that moment, my client elbowed both security guards in the stomach and just ran out of the court. And his mate, his big mate, came into the court and started wrestling with security guards. And then alarms and sirens went off all over the place. Hordes of police came running into the court and started trying to arrest his friends. And they started fighting with them. And there were security guards and police everywhere. And I looked around and I thought, this is going to make an impact. And... um, (laughs) And then I, I, I thought, I don't know what to do. No one's trained me for this. His mum was looking up saying, what are you doing sitting over there? Get over here and help. I was like, what do you want me to do? And, and, um, and eventually, after a while, I thought, I, my work here is probably done. And I kind of packed up my little case and kind of walked out, slipped past the cordon of um, police cars, which are around the court, trying to uh, find the person who'd escaped. Um, got, on, got on a bus and got back to the office and walked in and was feeling a little bit shaky, and uh, a very senior guy came up to me, and he said, how did it go, Stephen? And I was like, <laughs> he said, did he get out? And I was like, well, <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? And uh, that night, I, I, I felt so kind of unnerved. I was like, you know, I thought I was called to do this, I felt like God had positioned me in a good place to do this, and I felt like this was part of what God had in store for me. And here I am. Like, I not only have I not got this guy bail, but all his friends and his family are now in prison as well. Like, I've made the situation worse, not better. And I was thinking, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Like, my, life isn't supposed to be this difficult, is it? And that evening, I sensed God kind of prompt me and say, look, you, you didn't put yourself in this position. I called you here. And if I called you here... I'm not going to leave you on your own. Now, I didn't promise you an easy life. But I positioned you here for a purpose. And I'm not going to leave you on your own. You know, it's so interesting when you look at what happens in this passage. Look at the 
apostles. You know, it's, life isn't about trying to avoid all challenges. It's about leaning into the challenges that come as you follow Jesus wholeheartedly. The angel doesn't seem that interested in making their lives more comfortable, but he's very interested in them making the most of their lives, positioning them to be used for God's purposes, to declare the new life that Jesus brings to as many people as possible. They start the day in a prison cell. They end it testifying to the whole ruling council about who Jesus is and what he has done. Sometimes the opportunity you seek is hidden in the opposition you face. Obedience will bring both opposition and opportunity, but there's no better place to be than in the center of God's will for your life. The second thing we see is that obedience brings boldness. Now, you might think an arrest and an imprisonment would knock the wind out of the apostles, but not at all. When they're arrested again and on trial before the Sanhedrin, having been ordered that they have to stop speaking by people who have the power to put them in prison, to beat them, to kill them, they say, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We're witnesses of these things. Obedience isn't just gritting your teeth and doing something you don't really want to do. That's compliance. It's a very different thing. It looks the same, but the motives couldn't be more different. Obedience is founded in confidence and trust in the character of the person you're following. Their obedience is founded in their confidence about who Jesus is and what he has done. Their confidence in the truth about what they've seen and what the Holy Spirit has revealed to them. And that gives them... That gives them a real clarity about the decisions they have to make. So we know these things are true. They've met the risen Jesus. They've experienced the Holy Spirit who God gives to those who obey him. Of course they're going to keep telling people about this new life. I think of my friend Andy. At the start of the pandemic, uh, Andy was an atheist and he met someone at work over the summer and They were just talking about their faith, and he had all sorts of questions. And his friend just said to him, look, why don't you do Alpha online? And he he did it, and he was enjoying it, but he was a bit apprehensive all the way through the course because, you know, it felt like a big step to place your trust in Jesus. And not only that, but a number of his friends, and one friend in particular, were giving him quite a lot of grief, quite a lot of stick about the fact he was even exploring faith at all. And he was thinking, like, if I actually go all in on this, I've actually become a Christian, what are they going to say then? Like, this friend is just going to give me so much grief, I'm not sure I can put up with that, can't put up with all the um, ribbing he's going to give me. And so he was kind of keeping it all at arm's length. But then in December, just a few months ago, he came to a service, and as part of that service, he prayed a prayer to place his trust in Jesus. And what happened was, he encountered Jesus He encountered the risen Jesus, and he experienced the Holy Spirit, which the apostles are talking about in this passage, and he was completely different. See, from that moment on, it wasn't hypothetical anymore. 
He wasn't weighing up the kind of odds of the hassle against the benefit. He knew Jesus was alive because he had met him. And so he made the decision. He became a Christian on the Sunday. And the next day he phoned up his friend and kind of preemptive strike. And he said, um, so I just wanted to let you know, um, this is how it is. I've met Jesus. The guy's like, what? <laughs> he said, I've met Jesus. Um, I've become a Christian. I've put my trust in Jesus. This is how it's going to be now. And you might not like it. Uh, you might find that difficult. But this is me now. And you need to know that. All right? And the guy was like, all right. <laughs> and that was it. Suddenly, Andy had this extraordinary boldness because he'd experienced the truth of what the apostles are talking about here. Like he'd looked at the evidence of the eyewitnesses and he'd experienced the Holy Spirit bearing witness to these things. And confidence in who Jesus is clarifies so many things in life. He's risen so you can trust every word he's spoken. He's prince, so you can put your future in his hands. He's savior, so you can come to him, whatever you're facing, however you're feeling, and know he isn't going to reject you because he came to save. He's Lord, so to obey him is always the best decision you can make every time. You know, I've made lots of mistakes in my life. I've messed up lots of times. I've done all sorts of things I regret, but I've never regretted a single decision to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Never regretted that. I mean, look at the apostles. We must obey God rather than human beings. And you feel, yes, that's right, isn't it? Why would you obey human beings over God? Why obey creatures over the creator? Why would you obey human commands over the one who puts breath into human lungs? Why would you obey a collection of molecules and DNA over the one who created all things and sustains them, all things, by his most powerful word? doesn't mean that you're guaranteed success. It doesn't mean that there's a smooth ride. It doesn't mean you wouldn't have difficult days. But it does mean you can be bold because you're not on your own. It does mean you can be bold because you're following the one who has gone before you and who knows the way. It does mean you can be bold because you know that with Jesus, no act of obedience is ever wasted. Obedience brings boldness. And then the final thing we see in this passage is that obedience brings joy. Now, this doesn't look like the ingredients for a joyful life. You know, multiple arrests, imprisonment, the shame and embarrassment of a public trial, beatings, threats. Why? How can they be joyful in the midst of that? Well, I think there's at least two reasons. The first kind of comes out of the mouth of Gamaliel, the Pharisee. He speaks to the Sanhedrin. He says, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now the apostles know Jesus is who he says he is. So they have confidence to obey him. They know that because of that, their purpose and their activity is from God. And that means they have assurance that they are part of a movement 
which has an unstoppable momentum. They know that one day the whole earth is going to resound with God's praises. It's not in doubt. And that assurance gives a remarkable significance to your kind of everyday life. It means every day can be filled with purpose. But that assurance also gives a deep peace because it means it doesn't all depend on us. I was thinking this week, there's been worship at this site for over a thousand years. Uh, imagine what these walls have seen and what these bricks have heard. Seen thousands come to faith. Seen people who encountered Jesus who've been used in extraordinary ways in God's salvation purposes in this city, in these communities, in this nation, in the nations, right across the face of the globe. Millions and millions of people have been influenced by the people who have come to faith within these four walls. Extraordinary. Going back a thousand years. But we're part of a movement that goes back much further than that. It doesn't just go back a thousand years, it goes back 1,985 years to the very events in this passage. And it's a movement which has grown through challenge, through persecution, through opposition, through difficult years, through difficult decades, but it's grown all the while. Sometimes secretly, sometimes under the surface, sometimes under the radar, sometimes in ways that we're not aware of and no one will know this side of eternity, but it's always growing. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's happening right now. Happening in our community right now. People coming to faith. People being healed. People being discipled in a way that is going to adjust the trajectory of their whole lives. What you're saying into as a church community is going to bear fruit in this generation and through the generations in ways you won't even know this side of eternity. It cannot, it will not be stopped. It might look like God's purposes are sometimes frustrated, but they cannot ultimately be defeated. And that kind of takes the pressure off. It means that even on tough days, even on the days that don't make any sense and we wish weren't happening, the future, the end, is secure. And we get to participate. We get to partner that's why the apostles rejoiced. Why? Because they're counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The name of God, the name above all names, the name given to Jesus when he is raised up. They rejoice because they've got skin in the game, because they're on the front line, because they're taking risks. We often think joy is found in being more comfortable, having a more convenient life. But if you insulate your life from all challenge and difficulty, the risk is you insulate your life from all joy. Jesus is so real to them. They value his opinion so far beyond everyone else's voice that they can be disgraced in the eyes of everyone else and still be joyful. Why? How? Because the Spirit has revealed to them the significance of what they have seen and heard. The extent of the love that Jesus has shown them. 
And that means that, that Jesus was willing to lose the highest status of all, that he might win them. That he was higher than you could ever hope to rise, and yet he was willing to fall lower than you could ever fear to fall in order that he might win you because of his love for you. And when you see that, when you see how Jesus bore disgrace for you, the way he bore disgrace for you, it becomes a joy to bear disgrace for him. When you see how Jesus suffered for you, it becomes a joy to suffer for his name. Because when you see how worthy he is, how glorious he is, how beautiful he is, it becomes a joy that we might get to participate a tiny bit in what he went through for us. Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross for you. And so God raised him up and gave him the name the name that is above every name. Jesus' obedience is the basis of our confidence, our assurance, our salvation, our hope. There's power in your obedience, even when it feels like weakness. There's significance in your obedience, even when it feels like it doesn't matter and no one is even aware of what you've done. There's courage in your obedience because you can know because he was forsaken he will never forsake you there's hope in your obedience even when you can't see how God could ever reward it there is joy in your obedience obedience opens doors that you could never anticipate and releases joy that will surprise you the joy that we get to see the name of Jesus the precious name the redeeming name, the healing name, the powerful name, the merciful name, the glorious name, the worthy name of Jesus lifted high in our lives, in our communities, in our city, in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.